Wow. I have a, um, I should say, we have a grandson who is almost two years old. Next week, he will be two years old. Denson Bogue Kudner. And we will lunch together on occasion, and it's always an interesting experience to lunch with a two-year-old. What happens inevitably is that with Gogurt on his face and strawberry jam, he always, always wants Pop-Pop to take a sip from his sippy cup. To tell you the truth, I'm not a sippy cup fan. And yet, because I just love him, I end up taking a swig on occasion. I don't know how, but even with the sippy cup, there's still something chunky that's always in there. There's been a lot of decisions that we have had to make to uh, come to where we are this morning. One of the decisions are, do we bring coffee into the sanctuary or not? Let me me give you some philosophy from my um, two-year-old grandson. If you can drink from a sippy cup, uh, by all means, you are welcome to do that. We have cups out front. We want you to be warm and welcome and bring your coffee in here. But please, just as stewards of the place that the Lord has blessed us with, I would encourage you to cover your coffee cups, even though I'm not a fan of drinking from one of them myself. I know that seems like a little trivial detail, but it's actually an important one so that we can what just enjoy what God has blessed us with, but also be good stewards. Make sure you don't race away after the service. Take a look around, walk everywhere uh, that is not locked off. We do have some live construction zones. Uh, They'll be, Lord willing, ready for us in all of our children's ministry wing in the near future. Uh, But take a walk around and just enjoy all the blessings that God has given to us as a church family. We have so, so much uh, to be thankful for. Almost five years ago, it was actually 2013, at an elders meeting that we took a field trip to this old warehouse. And I remember Drew Talbot with his face pressed up against the glass on that back corner and he smiled and he said, yeah, I, I, think, I think this would work well. In 2014, we conducted a feasibility study as a church as well as purchasing this property. In 2014, at our 30th year anniversary, beneath this exact spot that I am standing right now, many of you came forward and wrote names on the pavement, permanent Sharpie markers of family members and friends and loved ones in the community that you were praying would come to know Christ. I wrote the verse from Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, and it's beneath my feet at this moment. Because of your partnership in the gospel, we paused and we prayed. In 2015, we launched a campaign. It was a night out for Big Woods at the Derwalker Center at LHU, where we were birthed as a church. And in less than a year, the Lord raised over a million dollars for the renovation of this project. And we prayed at that time. In 2016, 
a beautiful, clear, cool October day, we had a groundbreaking ceremony out front, and we paused and prayed. 2017, early in February, they began demolition and renovation almost a year and a half ago. We paused on that day, and we prayed. And now we find ourselves here today, September the 30th, 2018, simply as a testimony of God's goodness and God's grace. It's all for his glory. And it is, it, is, it is more than appropriate that we bow our heads and pray together. Would you do that with me? Lord, it says in your word that you are good to all that your mercy is over everything that you have made. It says, all of your works shall give thanks to you, and all of your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Lord, that's what we want to pause and do at this very moment, give you all the glory. Father, we just are amazed at your provision and blessing, but we also understand, Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. We understand, Lord, as we prepare to, to do ministry at, at levels and at ways that maybe we have not done in the past, that you would give to us wisdom, that you'd give to us oneness, Father, that you would provide for us as we understand we are stewards of the amazing blessings that you've given, but most of all, we're stewards of the message of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would not just speak of it, but we would live it out. We would live it out in this community. Father, we are, I am in such desperate need constantly. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is characterized by wisdom from above, not, not from below. I pray, Lord, that we would be identified as followers of Jesus by the way that we love one another, but also the way that we love those in the community around us. Father, I pray even for this very moment as we gather for the very first time in this building that you would, you would quiet our hearts and draw all of our attention, our effort, our energy on you and what you have for us. We are amazed at the work that was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. And may that drive us and motivate us to faithfulness for you. Please guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and yours alone. We ask this in strong and powerful and wonderful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Philippians chapter 1, I want to begin this series of first day, Philippians 1, verse 1 and verse 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times. 
in those two verses, we have an indication of what is and what must always remain the most important focus of our worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where Paul begins. So why, why this message? Why this series? Why the book of Philippians? I don't know if you have picked up on the fact that we live in an amazing, amazing community, that we are blessed in unbelievable ways. Beauty, the hills to climb and to hike, and the rivers to kayak. We enjoy what? Relationships. They're important in this community. And yet, with all the blessings that God has given to us, there's something that is desperately lacking, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to look very long or very hard to notice that something in our community is lacking. And it's joy. You see it on the faces. You see it on the faces. I see every single day people that are they're, they're pursuing something. And they don't know what they're pursuing, just hoping that if they grasp it and hold on to it long enough, that's why this message is here. Why first and foremost? Because simply joy is needed. There's a seeming, what we would call in every one of our lives and the lives of those around us, a seeming futility to life. It's no stretch for us to say that every one of us, we are all pursuing something. We're all pursuing something. You're pursuing what? Success. I've never met anyone who says, I just want to really be a big, huge failure in life. I've never met anyone who said that. We, we pursue what? Wealth, peace. Some are pursuing prominence or just, just acceptance. They just, just want to, to, to pursue contentment. There's some that are out there that are simply pursuing what? The very basics. We, we just need groceries for the week. We're just talking about pursuing what? Survival. You could summarize a lot of what people are pursuing with one word that what? It's just a longing to be happy. Many would say, I don't, I don't have to be rich. I don't, I don't want to be famous. I just want to be happy. This is not a stretch for us, our entire country. We live in a country that has been founded upon these very principles. The, the, the second paragraph of the very first article, the Declaration of Independence, reads this, and I quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, I found those two things, it, it kind of seemed pretty commonplace to us. We all have life. Do this. You've got a pulse. You are alive. We don't seem to give that much thought. Yes, we have a responsibility now to preserve the right to life. That's why we speak up against certain things. Murder, homicide, abortion, suicide, genocide. We have a responsibility to speak up. How about liberty? Well, well, according to Thomas Jefferson, all the way down to Bruce Springsteen, if you were born in the USA, what? We have been born into freedom, and yet even Springsteen would say there's an emptiness to this American dream. 
Yes, we have a responsibility to preserve our freedoms. That's why we support. That's why we're very grateful and thankful for men and women in uniform who serve us. But it seems like those first two, life and liberty, they don't capture as much attention as that last one. We have life, we have liberty, but then there's this third one, this ladder, this happiness that most people today, like, like on their hands and knees looking for a lost key. They're, they're Googling, looking up, researching, reading keys to happiness, but it seems that the door is locked. They're, they're talking about and seeking secrets to happiness, but at some level that mystery always seems to be hidden. As I, I read one who said it well, unable to control their circumstances, people find themselves instead controlled by their circumstances. We can't control our, but, but, but we're now controlled by. Which means what? When the job fails to offer happiness, you thought it would be the, the, the secret? Just quit, get another one. When the house that you bought or the car that you bought fails to offer the happiness that you thought, just, just, just sell it and get another one. When a relationship falls through, you've fallen out of love, sadly, as many people say. What? Just go, just, just go find another one. When the church that you have committed to fails to offer you the happiness that you thought, just what? What? Dump it. Look for another one. And it's a cycle. It's a circle in endless merry-go-round of pursuing and searching and probing and digging. We kind of come up like Solomon, King Solomon, who apparently had everything and more. And yet it says what? His own words in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He writes, a generation goes, another one comes. The sun rises and the sun sets. The wind blows to the north, to the south, around and around goes the wind. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Solomon writes this, and I quote, I have seen everything everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and striving after wind take a jar outside this afternoon and go catch some wind and you will sense the futility and the alignment of the words that Solomon is saying joy is needed today because there seems to be a futility to life but there's also what there's a constant friction with others a constant rub he just rubs me wrong I really don't know what it is maybe it's the voice there's just a rub a, a friction where where people seem to rob other people of the so-called what happiness that they are pursuing we won the game yeah, yeah, but you missed that catch. Got a brand new church. Yeah, but I don't, I don't like the color. I don't like the color. We got to drink from sippy cups. 
There's always something. We irritate, don't we? We, we rub one another wrong and raw. And it frustrates us and aggravates us. And people can be downright cruel. The anonymity of hiding behind a computer screen and just, what, just, just dumping out horrid and horrible words. People are poking and, and pricking and attacking and bullying and hurting. A little girl got off the school bus and stomped her way, stormed her way into the house, muttering, aggravated and angry under her breath, people, 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 people. Her dad was home earlier than normal and he followed her up the stairs as he heard the bedroom door just slam. And he very quietly and gently knocked and he said, honey, can I come in? No! He knocked again. He's a good dad. He's persistent. Honey, honey, why can't I come in? Because you're a people too. That's, that's us in many ways. We have this just flood of garbage that comes to us, this unending noise and the fast pace that we live in this world. I have to be honest as we seek to do ministry in our community that I am concerned, I'm aching, particularly for our children today. More stress, kids under more stress and worrying about more things than I've ever seen before. Kids living in fear. Everything's provided. Kids are suffering from depression. We live in a society where kids are suffering from abuse and neglect. As a result, we actually have kids that are cutting themselves. Young girls with eating disorders. Lines waiting for people to go to therapy. It's a little wonder it's a sad tragedy that, that suicide, suicide, committing suicide, is now the second leading cause of death for young people 15 to 24 years old. Every 90 minutes in our country, another one, another little one, kills themselves. Yet, but we as parents have what? We've, we've given them, right? We've given them. There's, they have more opportunities than ever before. We have sacrificed and sent them to the best camps and clinics with the best coaches and teachers and tutors and travel teams. And we have set out their, their goals and their academic achievements. And we have managed their diets and set out their vitamins and their health needs and their sleep patterns. We've given them the best, the best toys, the best clothes, the best sneakers and smartphones. And yet at some level, I feel that we have, we have, we have provided for their bodies and we have at some level stimulated their minds, or at least we've tried, but we've failed. We've failed to minister to their hearts and model for them what true contentment and joy is all about. Dad, come to the realization and your truth, your boy's not going to the NBA. Accept it. There's a better chance for him to be struck by lightning and mauled by a grizzly at the same time 
than to make it to the NBA. You strive to demonstrate what is needed in this world. More worries and more fears than ever before. A young one told me just recently, a teenager told me just recently, I'm just so confused. I'm just so confused. Why? Because joy is needed in our world today. But thankfully, through the hope of the gospel and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, number two, joy is promised. It is promised. If, 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 if happiness is fleeting and elusive, then, then joy is not. If, if happiness, what comes from outward circumstances, then joy comes from what? Inward knowledge of the truth. Joy is simply defined as great happiness, delight. So today we opened up and we read from a book. It's called the book of Philippians that will take us well into the fall and Lord willing into the winter. A book that many of you, even if you're not familiar with, you have still heard phrases on bumper stickers and you've seen them on coffee cups. We all know to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. That's Philippians 1, verse 21. We hear about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, verse 13. What's interesting is that Philippians is the only book that the Apostle Paul writes. The Apostle Paul is the author. He writes it from what house arrest in, in Rome about 60 AD. And he writes several letters, but Philippians is the only one that there's not outward kind of admonishment or even criticism like, like Colossians or the Corinthians, first and seconds. Because it's a picture of what our lives should be as we are all in process together. doesn't matter if this is your first day in church or you've been attending church every day since you were born. We are all in process. If you write in your Bibles, I encourage people to underline. Go to verse 25 of Philippians chapter 1. We'll refer to this throughout the series. And there's a phrase in there that actually holds the theme of the entire book. Philippians chapter 1 verse 25 says what? For your progress and your joy in the faith. For your progress and your joy in the faith. So we are all what? We're all maturing together. Different rates, different speeds. So let's dive into this. I know our time is quickly escaping. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Now we know that Paul is clearly the author here, the one who has been divinely inspired to write these words, but he includes what? He includes his young protege, his student, Timotheus, Timothy, Tim, Timmy. He includes him. I thought about that and I thought, why, uh, like, there's only one guy writing, but he does it to express humility, but also to bestow honor upon the younger. He brings Timothy with him. I thought, what a, what a great example for all of us. 
Scripture teaches us, reminds us, that the older are to always pour into the younger, to uplift, to build up, and to edify. If young ones today in our world are so confused, doesn't it make perfect logical sense for the older, the more mature, to come alongside to help them in their confusion? And Paul models for us what ministry really looks like, what pouring into other people's lives. Can I ask you a question? How do you feel when you take the time to what? To mentor, to disciple, to model what life should look like for a younger person. How, how does that make you feel when you take your little bit of knowledge? Like, I have screwed up. I want you to, to learn from my mistakes. And you take the time to invest. How does that make you feel? There's something that bubbles up that says, I'm investing into the future. That my life matters, even the mistakes that we all have made. We know that joy, joy comes, always comes when it's others over ourself. It always equals joy. Others over ourself always equals joy. Not only does Paul include Timothy by name, but he includes him in the greatest and the most noble task that any one of us any one of us can put our hand to. And it is what? It is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Along with, or with the overseers, the, the episkopos, that's the, the bishop, 1 Timothy 3. That's the, 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 the elders along with the deacons, what, the diakonos, the, that, that one who means servants. We are blessed with deacons who have been serving you, even, even this morning. So we begin with this question here. Let's start with, like, like who, who, who are the saints then? And what is a Philippi? Let's begin with the latter. What is a Philippi? It's simply, what, a leading city? Philippi is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. That's northern Greece. It's a Roman colony. Philippi was, was like Lock Haven in many ways. It has everything. It was beautiful. Located on a fertile plain. There's a deep, swift, flowing stream nearby. It's strategically located on, a, on, a, on an important Roman road. There were gold mines close by in access road with riches and wealth the romans annexed it into their empire and paul just had a burden for cities and so he would go to major cities and he would preach the gospel the good news of jesus christ that's that's what philippi is who are the saints? It's not a football team in New Orleans. Saints are what? Christians. They're followers of Christ. They're members of the local church. And, and, and we get a little bit of a description of how this started. In your Bibles, go back to the book of Acts. And in chapter 16, and we're introduced literally by name who some of these saints are. In Acts chapter 16, we have what, this time Paul is with Silas. He's on his second missionary journey. He's praying for the Lord to open a door of ministry. And he ends up in Philippi. And he bumps into a woman whose name is Lydia. She's a seller of 
purple, it says, from the city of Thyatira. This is an Asian woman who is, we could very easily say and politely, one who rubs shoulders with royalty. It's very clear and evident that she is a wealthy woman. And so her life kind of is made up of what many of us would just, what, hope to aspire to someday. Travel and luxury and beautiful homes. And she was a fashionista for her day and her time. It says very specifically that she was a worshiper of God. Not necessarily a believer of Jesus. But she had, what, forsaken a lot of the polytheistic, multiple, many gods, God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the stars, God of the river, God of the trees. She forsook all of that, and she knew that there was one God. And Philippi, as Paul travels there, we know that he runs into, the Lord directs him to meet Lydia alongside of several other women who are sitting by the river, and they're praying together. And it says this, that Paul began to speak up. And it says that, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. Now, we're not told in Acts chapter 16 what Paul was saying, but we know pretty clearly what did Paul say all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ, Crucified. We, uh, uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Acts chapter 17. Paul's, what, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So when Paul began to speak to Lydia, just sitting, he kind of interrupts a lady's Bible study. Kind of odd. But he preaches Christ and the resurrection. And we know that she was the first convert to this church at Philippi. She, it says that she was immediately baptized, and she even invited Paul to come to stay in her own home with her own family. Matter of fact, her whole family became followers of Jesus Christ. And what? The church at Philippi was born. There's other saints that are mentioned, and this is somewhat questioned, but... But there's a little girl, a little poor slave girl, it says as you continue on in Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. There was a, a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. We don't know her, na her, her name. We don't know her age. Probably 12, 14 years old, possessed by some kind of a spirit, a demon. In, in Greek, it's kind of hard to understand. It kind of translates a, a spirit of a python or a demon of a python. We don't know what that is. But sadly, what happens is that there's men that are exploiting her. They're making money off of her because she has this ability to, to tell their fortune, to tell their future. And she's being used as an obstacle in some way, at least an irritant to Paul as he is ministering. She's going around making noises and shouting. And he literally, it says this, Paul says, having become greatly annoyed with her. We, we, we get that part, don't we? What, what are they doing? Why do they do that? Does anyone else get annoyed with others? Yes. Paul was just annoyed by her. And it says, he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it 
came out that very hour. We have a demonstration of the power of God that exists in the name of Jesus. And so we have this wealthy woman, Lydia, who becomes a follower of Jesus. We have what? The absolute opposite end of the spectrum. A little tiny slave girl, poor. She comes to be freed from a demonic influence, demonic power. And yet there's still more saints that were introduced here in Acts chapter 16. There's a Philippian jailer. Because people were bothered because of Paul and Silas's ministry, they literally gather around, they beat him up, they whip them, they throw them in a Philippian jail because of their teaching. It's interesting that there was a magistrate who ordered the jailer to keep Paul and Silas. He said this, he ordered them to keep him safely. We've just beat them up. Now they're in your care. Keep him safe. Well, what do we know about this kind of thug, forgive me, but that's what he is, of a Roman centurion, a jailer, Roman soldier. It says that they put Paul and Silas in stocks. Automatically, we go back to the 1700s where, you, you know, we've all had pictures taken at a tourist spot in New England somewhere where our head is in the, and our hands. That's, that's our view of stocks. That's not, that's not the image that was of the first century Roman world. They actually would take one's body and contort it, twist it, and then lock it in place and leave them in pain and agony. Literally, to be put in stocks was a form of torture. Paul and Silas... We're in jail, and it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Wait a minute. Circumstances around them didn't look real good. They've been beat up. They're in prison. They're being tortured. And yet they are singing. So much so that it says that the pris prisoners were listening. Others will notice the joy that pours and flows from your life and from your mouth. Others will notice, just like they did in this prison. Prisoners were listening, it says, and there was a great earthquake and the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. In this earthquake, the jailer knows that if one prisoner escapes, that automatically, automatically, his penalty is death. His instruction was what? You keep them safe. You keep them locked in here. It's very descriptive in Acts chapter 16 that, that the jailer, knowing inevitably they are finally released from torture, what are you going to do? What are we all going to do? We're going to bolt and run. It says that the Philippian jailer actually draws his sword and he is about to what? Do the same thing that other people do when they believe that there's no reason to live. There's no joy. He draws his sword about to run himself through and from the darkness and the blackness, the jailer hears a voice. And it said, Paul cried aloud. Do no harm to yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't do it. What? Who, 
who's here, no, no one would be here. Everyone would leave. You have a chance to leave. The doors are open. You've been, you've been unfastened. You've been, you've been let go. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're staying right here because we're concerned about you. Don't hurt yourself. Don't harm yourself. It says literally that the jailer, he had heard Paul's voice, but he took a light, a torch. I can, I can think of it. He, he grabs a torch and he runs into the darkest parts of the jail. And he literally sees Paul and Silas still sitting there. Listen to this. It says he grabbed a light. He rushed in. He fell on his knees and he said, what must I do to be saved. Paul's response is the same response that you and I must, we must give as we constantly come in contact and touch with others who are seeking something that is so elusive. First thing and only thing that Paul says is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of his house. Well, what's the word? I have one message. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. I preach the resurrection. And, and we know it, it says the response is what? The word of the Lord to him. He spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of his house. That the all, whole house was baptized. And look at the response here. He rejoiced. It's interesting that it's not the same word that we would use, kara, kara, for, for joy. It's, it's a greater joy. It's a galio. It means extremely joyful. It means to exalt. He rejoiced alongside with everyone in the household that he had believed in God. Think about this. This is like Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Middle Class, Blue Collar, hardworking... He just wants to what? He just wants to do his job well, go home, have a beer, and watch the game. That's his life. Until he met someone. Until he met someone. It was totally changed. Radically changed. See, see who the saints are here? Who? We have the wealthy, the fashionista, Lydia. We have a, a little tiny poor slave girl who's been saved through the power of the name of Jesus. And we have what? We have Mr. Middle Class. The saints, what? Are a representation of the entire community. Just like we are called here to minister to the entire community. And what is the message? Even in the introduction, somebody said, how are you going to preach on two verses? It's like, it's like there's nothing there. Listen to the message. Paul and... Timothy, to the saints, here it is. Here's what we offer to everyone. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. I want to offer you grace and peace. Wait a minute, but the theme here for the book of Philippians is joy. Let's not get too broad. The author begins with grace, charis. It means favor. It means what? Kindness and goodwill and peace. The word is irene. It means what? The state of well-being. Grace and peace. I'm in a state of well-being. Why? Because you have been offered from the ultimate source 
of both. God the Father, that's creator, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. Do you see see what's happening here? Do you see the connection? Everyone, Everyone is seeking happiness. And it's elusive. It's dependent upon circumstances. We want to offer something that is not dependent upon outward circumstances. It's dependent upon an inward knowledge. We want everyone to know the joy that is offered through God, the Creator, and His Son, the Savior. And yet we realize you cannot have joy without any peace. You cannot have any peace without grace. And you cannot have grace without Jesus. And so we have before us, even in this brief introduction, before we ask and inquire and seek to learn all that we can about just making my life better and better, we must know that it flows from the ultimate source of joy. When your life has been completely submitted to and surrendered to Jesus, that just as that Philippian jailer fell on his knee and said, what is it I must do to be saved? What is it that I must do to have life? And the word of God was spoken, the good news of the gospel, that regardless of how difficult the circumstances are, and many of you are in the midst of horrific circumstances. We live in a community surrounded by people in the midst of hard, tough times. It's just about survival. And yet we offer them the hope that by recognizing the fact that we truly are sinners, that our sin deserves eternal punishment, and yet Christ stepped in to pay the price to forgive us and bring us into relationship with the Holy God and know that true joy exists. We'll work with this definition the entire way through this series. What, what, what is it? It's not dependent upon outward circumstances of a good day or bad day. And so what joy is the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls all circumstances. Everything that happens in your life is for you as a believer's good. God has a plan for it. It's a good plan. And for his glory. That we should live, that we should breathe every single day, whatever we do, even in tough times. May God have all the glory. People, I am so excited for where we are as a church and what the Lord has done but we also understand that we hold in our hands and our hearts the message to whom much is given, much is required, that God now calls us to offer not just elusive happiness, but true joy through the belief and knowledge that everything, everything is under God's sovereign control, and he has a plan for your good and his glory. May we shout that. May we not be ashamed of that message. And may we live faithful followers of Jesus. Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Father, we love you. We thank you for another day you've given to us to worship you like this, to sing and lift our voices. We thank you, Lord, that we can do it in an amazing place that you have provided. 
But help us, Lord, as we um, get up tomorrow morning and start another week, another day, that we would not be trying to seek and, and grab that which cannot be attained. But Lord, we work towards a knowledge and an understanding of living in light of the gospel. Father, I pray for our community, many that do not know that, many that are blinded from that. I would ask God that you would allow us to be, to be ones who are known by your love, that care for others, that pause and take the time to talk and listen, that we would have older willing to pour into younger, that we would journey alongside of one another, although we aggravate and irritate one another. May we live lives of grace toward one another and enjoy the peace from you that passes all understanding and live with a joy from you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.